people will have a tendency to see you as that character from their memory and not from how old you are now and things like that. It just, it takes a long time to move past people's first impressions. That's something that affects people at all, all uh, points in their career, no matter how successful you are. Stereotypes about child stars and their longevity in Hollywood are well known. We've all heard the same tragic stories, but contrary to popular belief, there's a larger number of us child actors who have actually beaten the odds and what well, we continue on our showbiz journeys. These are our stories. I'm Jaleel White, and this is Ever After. My guest today is probably one of the most recognizable faces in film. Uh, his film debut came as Tom Hanks' son in Forrest Gump. He's best known as an unwilling young medium in M. Night Shyamalan's Sixth Sense, for which he received an Academy Award nomination. I like to remind people of that. Um, then it was on to Steven Spielberg's sci-fi smash, Artificial Intelligence. More recently, though, he starred in TV series Future Man, Bad Therapy. Uh, he's got a ton of awesome TV credits, but I got a fan guy out a little bit. I loved him in Silicon Valley as Keenan. <laughs> Allow me to welcome Haley Joel Osment. Hey, how's it going, man? What's going on, man? <laughs> it's good to have you, dog. Good to, good to be you. talking with you. Uh, now, do you prefer Haley or Haley Joel? Haley is fine. I don't even know how that got started. I have a suspicion, like a second AD at some point, put it on the call sheet, and like we just sort of went with the three. Because in in regular life, it's always just been Haley. But I don't know how the three names got added. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, w- I was starting to make an association that like great young actors have like three names. <laughs> that. that and assassins, right? <laughs> right. It's the three name structure. Um, it's funny you um I think we've worked with a lot of a lot of uh, the same people. I saw that you worked with Rob Cordry on um on uh darn the I just mentioned uh, bad therapy. Bad, uh, yeah. On, on bad therapy. Yeah. yeah. I I worked with him on um Children's Hospital. Oh yeah, that's a hilarious show. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah, oh, it's hysterical. Yeah. Hysterical though. Who is like the funniest person that you've ever worked with? Like they're naturally funny. I've worked with like a, a lot of people like that. And and it's it always makes uh, the experience of being on set uh, a lot of fun, you know, just being able to hang out with someone like that. Rob is definitely like that. I did a, a, a mini series called The Spoils of Babylon where we just had an embarrassment of uh, – of, of <laughs> of riches when it came to hilarious comedy actors, getting to work with like Kristen Wiig on that. Uh, you Ooh. know, the, just just folks like that that are just so so funny. Uh, and you know, our our mutual friend Lamorne too. I worked with I've worked with him on three different projects now, and he's definitely one of those people who who makes the set a great place to to hang around. Lamorne is great, especially when it comes to uh, to alts. You know, I, <laughs> I love that about comedy. For people who don't don't know what we're talking about, but um, you know, generally on a single camera shoot, you know, you'll get a chance on the the, the third and the fourth pass if it gets that deep. To just do different alternative versions of uh, of a line or you know a little bit of dialogue. Yeah. So uh, some people are just really good at that. Nick Offerman just laid yes. me out <laughs> working with him. Uh, and, I mean that dude has a dry comedy that hits. <laughs> it, it hits. You also did a Robot Chicken episode, um, and I was with Seth Green last week. That's right. I was with Seth yeah. Green last week. Yeah, that's that's a really fun show to work on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Um, do you play ping pong by any chance? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I just, okay. Cause that, cause he, that's where I thought I, I, I where we ran into each oh, other. Oh, at the Kershaw, Kershaw event. Yeah. No, I yeah. think ours was, uh, was many years before, I think. Uh, I, I, I actually do remember this pretty well, but the, in 1994, I think it was the first time I went to Upfronts in New York. I was on a show called Thunder Alley at the time. And, yes. uh, yeah, and I think you and I were staying at the same hotel, but like I met you in the lobby and then I think I ran into you again at Tavern on the Green where they were having some, you know, network event and stuff like that. So I remember yeah. that little boutique hotel they yeah. would stick us in, dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that. And then really Tavern well. on the Green afterwards with all the pictures taken and everything yeah. with the affiliates. Yeah, that's a that's a crazy experience to go through, particularly as a kid. And I was and I was gonna I ask you it. what what lot did you guys shoot Family Matters on? 
We shot Family Matters on uh, Burbank Warner Brothers. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. about the same time I was doing that show, we were at ABC, like right across the, the way right there. So. Okay. Because did, right they, just... did they ever do like rap parties at that like equestrian center in Burbank? Like they'd always have, I feel like we we would, I, I ran into you there once too. It'd be like this place that, you know, because there were a lot of kids on those shows. So like the the cast and crew could go there but it was also like relatively family friendly after after no nah, man you i think you worked on uh, uh richer white productions than us man we we would go to pizza hut you know we, we, were, we didn't we didn't get the entire equestrian center i know where that damn place is yeah, yeah it's right in between those two lots but yeah <laughs> i i think the thing that bonded me with you though unknowingly when i saw you at the kershaw challenge though and for for you know those of you who are listening listening, the Kershaw Challenge is a a ping pong competition that uh, Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers has uh, annually, and it's so missed this year, man. I, I do it yeah. every year with like, George Lopez and Jason Bateman, and all these great names, and and this guy I saw strolling by one year, and I was just like, that is the only man in this building who understands how many times I've heard, did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> Because he has his own I see dead people version. <laughs> Understand. Yeah, that is and I wanted to <laughs> That is a very specific experience that that uh that few people that few people have gone through. <laughs> you know, it's a thing. I, I try to describe it because it's like I can, I also have a sixth sense for somebody who is well adjusted in our business. And and it's almost kind of like it's a relief when you when you cross paths. You know, I just talked to Kiki Palmer. Um, you, know, you know, obviously, I, I spoke to Seth last week, and it's just kind of like it's a relief. It's like, ah, okay, I can, I can just shorthand talk what this is about. Exactly. You know, but sometimes when I'm never offended by the catchphrase, I I have to literally take it person by person and context. Yeah. And I'm and I'm sure that you experience the same thing where it's like you know. With people coming up to you and 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 saying the line as if they've you've never heard it from anybody else before. <laughs> yeah, particularly in the in the very beginning, that was that was kind of amazing to see that the people would think that that no one had ever thought to to do that before in public. But it happens in really surreal ways too. Like like just at Dodger Stadium, I was at a game and they do those little inner. Uh, yeah, uh, between the innings, they have the players do like trivia and stuff like that. And the, one of the segments ended with Yasiel Puig on the big screen doing the line. I was like, "Whoa!" Like that's just, just you don't expect it to show up in in places like that. Yeah, right. So when that happens and they put you on the jumbotron, I hope you were in the dugout seats. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's the uh, that's always a very tempting thing to splurge on. Man, that's the that's the way to see a game. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I. Well, if they put you on a jumbotron with somebody saying your catchphrase, yeah. if you're not sitting in the dugout yeah. seats, get ready. The line of pictures is about to form. <laughs> I'm just as likely to be up in the top deck, though. I, I, I really have been been pretty crazy with the Dodgers over the past, you know, the seven amazing seasons that they've had. Uh, now that I've been living in L.A. more often, and uh, yeah, I, last night I was able to, to, you know, watch an actual exhibition game on television, which has been a huge relief. You know, now that there's no sports yeah, on television, play. so it's it's something. <laughs> it's so surreal seeing the players sit in the stands yeah. and call it a dugout, yeah. like that. Yeah, and they, and they're allowed to tweet <laughs> now, which I hope they 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 keep letting the players tweet when they're sitting up there in the stands. <laughs> That's what we do when we're sitting in the exactly. stands. Exactly. Exactly. Now I was going to ask you: Did you? Uh, did they have to ask your permission to put that one scene in Wolf of Wall Street when uh, there's that fight? Because ah! that's that's a great <laughs> that's a great scene to show up in. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, yes, yes, they did have to that's ask uh, my permission, and I, I think that's one of those things where, again, that's somebody I have a lot of respect for. Leo and obviously Martin Scorsese, that whole darn cast. So yeah. when you get that call from Warner Brothers, be like, "All right, are you authorizing?" Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah, why not? Let's see what they let's see what they do with it. I've been I've authorized worse. Yep. <laughs> I've authorized. I've authorized. <laughs> so that was cool. It's amazing how many people like again. Same thing. As soon as a clip like that appears in a movie like that, everybody feels the need to text me like they're the only one who who texts me. Yeah. <laughs> um. I think that we uh, we we both got in the business at the same time. Yeah, I think so. I was. How old were you? Uh, I was born in 1988, and I was four when I did my first thing. So about 19, 1992. Okay. 
Okay, I was born earlier than that, and I was three. <laughs> I was three. Nice. Yeah. I was. It. You seem like you. Um, your 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 dad was very involved in your preparation uh, during during that time, and obviously beyond. Like he seemed to prepare you um, more than your average kid. Not just memorizing your lines, but really giving you like context about your scenes and stuff like that from, from what I understood. I'm M. Night Shyamalan, bottom line, he's, he's come out and he said like, your audition for Sixth Sense was like the best audition that he'd ever conducted. <laughs> and he was just blown away. Now, you know, they, you know, and, and directors want to sell films, so they embellish, but you know, I still, I, I peep your intellect and I think he was probably telling the truth. Like what was that process with your dad preparing for roles even back then at such a young, young age. It really made all the difference having that resource of someone who – my, my dad studied theater in college and actually ran a theater uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard uh, in the 80s, which is why he and my mom uh, first moved out here from uh, from Alabama. And uh, Oh, and you, you spoke about, about uh, Jason Bateman. He actually ran that theater with uh, Kent Bateman, Jason's father at the time. So he knew Jason when he was like wow. a teenager, also getting started in his career. But having someone who – not just you know knew something about acting, but came from a theater background, helped with so much of that preparation stuff. And even if it was for a sitcom or you know doing an audition for a movie, learning how to study a character and study the script, and you know have this really organic process of you know getting to the to the final product really made the difference. And and that audition for six the sixth sense was a. Um, probably the best example of that because it's such a long process for that. We, I went in for the casting director first, then there's another round with the producers and then only the third time around you go in with night. And so it's doing the scene many, many, many times over a few weeks and not having it get stale and still trying to, you know, to, to get to that same emotional place and everything. And having that rehearsal with my dad was just crucial with all that. So. It was, I really feel like even at that age, you were going, I can't let this get stick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to tip my hat to that. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> take me through the, um, take me through your, your, what it was to be nominated for an Academy Award. You know, I, I, I won three NAACP image awards, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but none of that compares to an Academy Award nomination. I, I always felt like a deep connection when uh, when a young person either was nominated or won the award. I mean, I was very aware of Anna Paquin at that age. Yeah. I was very, you know, I was I was aware of when you were nominated and just what that was at that age. Like, what, was it just nonchalant at that age, or did you know, like, whoa, this is? I th I think it's. With a lot of things, you know, and that's probably, you know, the award season is an extreme example of it. But when you're that age, you're too young to really be concerned about a lot of stuff or like to really understand all of the craziness that, that surrounds it. So it makes it better in a way because, you know, you don't feel a lot of pressure or anything. And one thing that I did notice and I had just had my first meeting with uh, with Steven Spielberg right before uh, we I, I went to the Oscars and he was saying, pay attention to all these big stars that you've seen on the screen running around like, you know, like they're movie fans because, you know, they are fans of each other and everything. So everybody is kind of overwhelmed by the experience and just happy to to see the people that they admire and that they've been fans of on on screen. And, and that was the case. Um, it's I feel like that was. That was kind of like the height of like award shows influence too. like the ceremony was like five hours long. And like that was when ratings were still it's before they've started trimming everything down. And there's been like all that stuff. So it was a really surreal time to kind of be there at the at the shrine, seeing all that stuff. The shrine. Yeah. You weren't even at the, no, Kodak this is before the that. shrine yeah. auditorium. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. The shrine is like only where Farrakhan speaks. Yeah, now. that's crazy. Yeah, that's, I, that's, I see like a dubstep show there now. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, you took me back with the shrine. I felt that kid, um, Roman Griffin Davis from Jojo Rabbit. Oh yeah. I felt he got gypped. I thought he got gypped. I was like, that kid should have been nominated. That movie was phenomenal. His performance was adult level and completely self. -re like he. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. This was not just some kid stumbling through a movie and uh, on his uh, cute looks. Yeah. 
That uh, that I really loved that movie, and and yeah, the, the, the there some of the other kids in that they don't have as big a role, but like all the kid actors in that movie are are fantastic. Yeah, so, uh, that little chubby kid with the yeah, glasses, whatever he was. Like, I don't yeah. want I wish I could describe him more respectfully, but you know, he, that dude was dope. <laughs> I think uh, I think Taika is is a definitely really good with working with children on screen because that's hard to do. I got really lucky working with directors who really knew how to do that and and didn't use any tricks or anything to try and get what they needed, but you know really uh, treated the younger actors with respect. That's that that made all the difference in in my career. And uh, I can see it when you see films with performances like that now. You're like, oh yeah, I know that the the on set environment was was great. When you when you come, I come from an era where a director would actually physically move you to your position. <laughs> so there's this, wow. right? And think nothing of it. Here you you stand here. They just put their their hands on your, both of your shoulders. You stand here. And wow. They do it to a woman, or they invariably do it to a woman or a child all the time. Oh, man. And 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 so it's 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 uh it's definitely a different skill set dealing with kids. What do you think is the number one skill set that a guy like you know Spielberg or Shyamalan has? In dealing with younger people, uh, there's a there's a practical aspect to it where I I think Stephen is one of the the greatest examples of like making of responding to the way that 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 film sets could be kind of sleazy in the 70s and like not a safe environment. Like I think he his reaction to seeing that was always wanting to create a safe set where like you know it would be an okay place for a kid to be. And I I saw how much he cared about that being a father himself. And um, just trusting the actor you've hired to to understand the character and to and to go through the script with them. And a, a a helpful aspect of that is that when you're working on a studio film, and obviously certainly with the Spielberg film, you have the budget to have time to meet beforehand and to rehearse with all the actors. And having that rehearsal before we start shooting anything, I think really makes a big difference with the final product. That's a rare Dude, thing to find is, these days. <laughs> I was just, I was, you took the words out of my mouth. I'm like, it is, people have no idea what a luxury rehearsal is mm -hmm. now. Like you got a chance to work on productions where rehearsal was paramount. It was provided for. It was it, the cost wasn't even thought of. Yeah. Um. You were just, you know, you had every advantage of knowing what you were going to do before it was finally camera up. Yeah. And now it's like I just feel like you're getting a set. You get one day to try on your wardrobe. Yeah. This woman has 24 hours to freaking yep. fix it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then you're on the set with complete strangers and you have to create chemistry. And it's just like, wow, what a different exercise. Oh, yeah. It's become, thank you, Tyler Perry, for doing that to all of us. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, no, wait, are you in the Academy? Yes. Yeah, I think, I think that is if bad you get ass. nominated... Uh, <laughs> you, uh, you get... I th and, like, they, they changed the rules recently because... Been, they make it been trying to make a lot of uh, changes with the academy because I think the average age was so high. Like a lot of it were yeah, people yeah. who had not who were retired or had not worked in a while. So they, I think now it's like you have to have been in a movie like every five years or something. So I'm, I'm sneaking under the wire with that one. Hopefully they count streaming wow. series. <laughs> That's crazy. You have to be in a movie every five years to keep your voting something rights like in the that. academy. But yeah. you have, but you have to act every year to keep your freaking SAG benefits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So we prefer we prefer you die rather yeah. than vote. We prefer you die rather than vote. Um, oh gosh! After six cents, though, something I learned about you though was that you went back to normal school, and you said it really helped that the kids your age hadn't seen Six Sense. Yeah, that that uh, that really made it a lot easier for me because they were aware of the film and, and knew that I was doing stuff like that. But it was also a time where everybody didn't have a smartphone and social media. So like oh. being in, in school at that time, like it, it, it was protected from all of that, from, you know, from media and, and uh, the entertainment industry and things like that, where, where kids working now, I think it's way harder for kids uh, trying to manage a career with that aspect of it, because, you know, it's, it's just, there's so many negative things that you can't filter out when when that stuff is is happening. So it's a, yeah. My, and and the difference that I saw was my sister's also an actor, but she's four years younger than me. So by the time she was doing stuff on the Disney Channel and stuff like that, it was required that they have you know a social media presence that we're engaging with that. And that's just a very overwhelming thing to do. I don't think I would have handled it well. I I enjoyed being able to go work, and then when I wasn't working, it was just you know. I wasn't doing anything with it. I wasn't having to, to manage anything about the career. I was just in school. 
I can tell you enjoy your anonymity. Yeah, definitely. It's been, and that was part of me, although it's sort of ironic that it was New York that made it possible. Like living in that city, it was really easy to sort of do your own thing and to not constantly be involved in things with the entertainment industry. Uh, you know, it's such a densely populated city, but everybody, I think, does their own thing a little bit more aggressively there than uh, than in Los Angeles. So, and now we're all really isolated. So the yeah, the, the anonymity <laughs> is just which, going off. Yeah. <laughs> how, how have you How have you been enjoying your anonymity during COVID? Because I'm not gonna lie, bro. Yeah. The mask thing yeah. has been fantastic. I know. I think I'll just keep doing it. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> I go everywhere, dude. I mean, I go to the most ghetto spots for my favorite chicken sandwich. <laughs> I stand in the longest lines. You know, I'm like, I'm not even trying to get around the line. I'm like, screw it. I'll stand on my little dial. Yeah. I'll stand on my little dial. I love the mask. I it, it's, it's weird for a lot of reasons to see how angry it makes people that, that, that there's even a suggestion that they should have to wear it. But I think it's just great. Oh, that, that's nuts. <laughs> That that I mean that really says a lot though just about um, adults. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have to teach my daughter. I have a, I have a, an eleven year old daughter that uh, I teach her that adults are stupider than kids. <laughs> um, and because it's just like, I mean, what's your position on masks? My my position on masks is kind of like when I'm outside, I'm not gonna wear a mask if I'm working out. Yeah. If I'm working out and I'm socially distanced, I don't just I don't want to breathe that way. Yeah. Um, but if but if I can go into any store where all of us are now subjected to shopping, protecting the cashier or anything like that, or even in somebody's house. Yeah. You know, I, I, I enter with my mask as a respect. Yeah. And then if, if I discover that someone in that home is comfortable removing their mask or whatever, and you're just keeping safe distance, yeah. then all right, I, I kind of go with the flow, but the, the no mask at all people, yeah. like you won't tell me what to do yeah. people. <laughs> I just feel like we're all kids who didn't get spanked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and especially like going into someone's store and being like, I'm going to breathe all over. I refuse to follow your rules. Cause that those are yeah. some of the people at the highest risk or people at grocery stores and things like that, where there's just a constant inflow of people and, and a big uh, statistical finding I think is that when all, when there are the, 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 when the fr- protests first started in early June, I think everybody was worried like, oh, it's people closely packed outside. Like there's going to be a huge spike. There has not been a spike in New York. There hasn't been a spike trace to protests. And it was mostly because we believe everybody was wearing a mask. The ones that I went to in L.A., I was very nervous about the virus, but everybody was wearing a mask and there hasn't been a huge spike as a result. So it's just I think it shows it's a really easy, effective way to do it. If you're outside and if you're wearing a mask when you're close to somebody, it's uh, it's helpful to keep away from this terrible disease. I want to stay on anonymity just a little sure. bit. Cause I just feel like for, for a guy who's heard, um, um, I see dead people. And <laughs> did I do that as much as we have? Um, it, it just, people will never understand how much I savor my moments of anonymity. Um, during college, I was known for wearing, um, sunglasses. Yeah. And I didn't know I was known for wearing sunglasses until I picked up the Daily Bruin. <laughs> and um, and some jackass young reporter just threw me under the bus like, oh, he can frequently be seen around glasses. Uh, cla- I'm sorry. He can frequently be seen around campus wearing his uh, his dark specs. Uh, and it was like you could just tell the guy went out of his way to let everybody know he thinks he's cooler than yeah. us. And it's like, no, it's actually not. I, I had another actor explain to me one time, like why Jack Nicholson would like wear his sunglasses, even like down on the court. Yeah. And it was because everybody's looking at him. Yeah. So when he wears his sunglasses, when you get closer to him, you're uncomfortable looking at him. So he gets a little bit of privacy back. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, and if you think about it, it really makes sense. It's like, if you're Jack Nicholson on a court and, you know, some hot chick walks by or something like that, you don't want people looking at you, look at her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's a way of psychologically getting some of your your um, your privacy. Absolutely. Back. Yeah. I've, and and it also it helps prevent like if if you're being photographed either surreptitiously by someone or, you know, with a telephoto lens, 
you know they always go for the ones where like you're halfway blinking or like there's there's just so oh, many yeah. opportunities to it's that uh, one they were saying recently is they like getting women when they're sneezing because it makes it look like they're crying. I was like, that's such a mean, like terrible thing to do. Oh, so wearing sunglasses helps like want block that. that a little bit. That it helps just sort of keep it as yeah. And now with the mask, it's over. You can't see anything. <laughs> it's perfect protection. And it has been funny watching the. Um, the tabloid pictures of celebrities in their masks. Yes. They, they still I, I, know I, with some people, it's like they right? still are able to, to follow their movements somehow. Yeah. That's, um, that was one of one thing that really changed dramatically right when I, uh, left LA, um, for college is there was that the, the rise of like, you know, TMZ and things like that, where it was like a much more aggressive oh. kind of, you know, tracking of people and stuff like that. And I think it, it's it doesn't seem as pronounced now, but back then, like it just really had an effect on like the culture in L.A. where like everybody was looking for an opportunity to pay someone off for like I talk, I would talk to multiple people at like hotels and certain places. They were like, you know, some, you know, jerk teenager from TMZ is like, how much money do you want to tell me? Like who's uh, what number room this person is in or stuff like that. And you're just like it it, it creates this nasty environment for everybody. It's like uh, that wasn't very cool. I'm blown. I'm blown away, dog, that you went to New York to act. Yeah, yeah. Like you went to, you no, seriously, like you went to college to act. I played like Scrooge in a fifth grade play once. And I was just like, these kids are so unprofessional and nobody's hitting their mark. <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you like intentionally like went to NYU to act with uh, with your peers. Like I, I just commend you for that. And, Thank and, you. And tell me about that experience. That was, those years... There were a couple of years in there where I didn't work on anything professional at all. And those years were actually like probably some of you know, the best years of my life because I had not worked a lot with people my own age growing up. And all of a sudden it was just a, you know, a basically a conservatory program with only people my age and getting to, to create work with people like that, to learn a lot from people who had had much more experience than I had uh, on stage and I mean, and there, I mean, uh, the program I went to was the Experimental Theater Wing at NYU, and there was a, a wide variety of performers in that in that program. There was my friend got hired into Cirque du Soleil, like right out of uh, college. Like there was, you know, a, a dancers and choreographers and writers and just a wonderful uh, a variety of people who all had different goals for themselves. And uh, that gave me a lot of, you know, inspiration for whatever I'm going to do with with uh, the rest of my career. You know that's um, wow. Uh, when I when I when I when I think back of um, I got to back up. Like, so you took some real time for yourself in 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 two thousand three, and where you didn't work. And I think you had a cool job. As a matter of fact, you worked on uh, you, you did voiceover for Kingdom of Hearts. Yeah. And and that was what you did kind of during that time. And and like my version of that was I was the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. That's right. And it was, but it's like this thing we both have where I love it when somebody comes up to me and recognizes me for Sonic. And I'm sure you love it when somebody comes to you and recognizes you for Kingdom of Hearts because it's just kind of like this niche appreciation and they're just such a genuine, actual fan. Yeah. That, and that fandom for for that animated stuff is really intense too. Like, oh, it's intense. Yeah. yeah. I've, when there's, I've done the Comic Cons. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, man, and, th and that Kingdom Hearts job was like the by far the longest job I've ever had. Like, I started working on it about twenty years ago. So, and we've been doing we've probably done eight or ten installments over all that time. And it's just it's just wild to 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 have that relationship with a character for so many years. Right. Right. But again, there's a lot of people who are fans of yours who don't even know that you're yeah, in that game, yeah. um, and it's a it's a it's a revelation to them still. Yeah. Um, but I really tip my hat to you for for going and and acting at the collegiate level like that. Did you find that there were at least enough worth mentioning individuals who were intimidated by your presence there, and you knew in your heart, "Hey, man, I'm just here because I I love this as much as you do," but like maybe a teacher or a professor or 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 somebody who just kind of went out of their way to to make you feel like you know like put you in your place. <laughs> no, luckily no, and and I definitely don't think anybody felt 
intimidated or weird in any way. And part of that was because the, you know, the program that we were in, the class sizes were really small. We had basically the same group of people the entire four years. Some, some people came in uh, and transfer track in third year, but you just build really, really close relationships with people, you know, right out of the gate. And, uh, I, I think like all with, with NYU's program, when you apply to, to Tisch to the performing arts school, um, uh, you can list, there's like eight studios. It's changed a little bit over the year, but they all have a different sort of philosophy and a different sort of, you know, one's a musical theater studio and there's Meisner and Strasburg and all these things. And you can request the ones that you prefer, but they, I, they really work hard at placing people in the right studios. And I think for the most part, they placed really well because not only did, were we in a program where we would thrive, but the pe- the group that they assembled worked really well with each other. Like we, they, they grouped us really well that year because we just had, I graduated 10 years ago from, from that program. And we just had a, a zoom with like 30 of us from the graduating class. And like, everybody is, you know, everybody oh, keeps cool. in touch really well. So it's, I think I got really lucky with that. I went to UCLA Film School and I talked to one person. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> typical LA. Is that program <laughs> like was was that a program that was very solitary? Like it was you know easy to get isolated like that. Um, we came in as groups of uh, groups of thirty, and um, I think I picked UCLA because my dad went there, mm. and um, he went to the dental school. He didn't go to the film school, but still I had a nostalgic connection to the school. Sure. And I could also take Beverly Glenn and get to work. Yeah. So there was something a little bit more, um, more attractive about that route than some of the other school options that, uh, that I, that I might've had, but I did run into, you know, some professors and, you know, assistant Dean types that, you know, just kind of would always go out of their way to just kind of be like, you know, if I, if we had to get an internship or something like that, I'm almost like, can I get like one of my producers to sign off on this or whatnot? And it was like, no, I think you should participate like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, what does that mean? Like I should demote myself at my current job just <laughs> for your liking? Like, you know, I just, I, I, I would, I don't know. It's an, it's an, it's an LA thing too, though, because LA is like, I just feel like everybody wants to be somebody in LA. Yeah. But in a different way that New Yorkers are, like LA, LA people don't ever try like to bribe a hostess in LA. <laughs> like if she, like if she wants to give you a better seat or, or, or up your reservation, she's gonna do it because she likes yeah. you. In New York, they're almost looking for the hundo in your hand before it even comes out of your mouth. The request. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm telling the truth. You know, telling- it is different. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I love your young adult stories, though. Be real. Have you ever knowingly dated a fan? No. Like someone that never, ne- never dated, like never. Bottom line, somebody who <laughs> fangirled out and you were just kind of like, you know what? You're hot and I don't care. I'm going to give this a shot. <laughs> that has never happened to me. I've never, never <laughs> oh, done gosh. it. And in moving to New York, it was like, all right, like, you know, you meet a and you do, you meet a wide variety of, of, of people. And, uh, but the number of times where I was like, you know what I did, I have mostly dated actresses. That is mainly the thing that you end up dating the, you know, the people that you're around the most, I guess the type of person that you're around the most. You so date actresses? I have. Yeah. It's been great. I have a rule, no actresses. <laughs> like I, I created a rule around it. I was like, yo, we don't, the safest person around me is an actress. <laughs> I have a buddy of mine that cracks me up when he says, he say, you know, actresses, they always in character. <laughs> they always in character. That's a good saying. <laughs> Yo, oh, you're a better man than me for dating actresses, man. I, I remember one time I met this chick in, in San Francisco and she just had me smitten. And um, we had a great conversation, everything. And, you know, I fly back to L.A. and I do that thing where I try to keep in touch immediately. You yeah. know, I want to... I don't want her to think I forgot about her. And um, she hits me up and she says, hey, um, my friend's actually having a party like in a, in a couple of weeks. Like, do you, do you think you'd want to come up for the party? And, and I'm like, damn, you know, I mean, she was that fly. You know, maybe I'll hop on a plane and just go spend the weekend up there and, you know, see what happens. And uh, I said, yeah, I'd be, I'd be, what's up? Where's the party? And as this, this soon as I showed any inkling of interest, it went from an invitation to a solicitation. Uh-oh. 
and it, it was like, yeah, no, it's a, it's gonna be like a '90s party. Uh, like, you really want to come? And it was like, I was like, oh, yeah. I like, I just like my heart just crumbled, just like an old cookie on a kitchen table. <laughs> just, yeah, um, it just hurt, you know. It, it just, it just, yeah. the shit hurt. Yeah, that's no and, fun. Uh, and 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 you got an, it's, it's that moment where you just kind of like start backing out of all interactions. Like, it's just. I'm not going to delete your contact now, <laughs> but sometime soon yeah. for my ego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yo, so when you moved out of the house, all right, did you feel prepared enough for life? Do you do your own grocery shopping? Do you do, do you go to the bank yourself? Yeah, I felt I felt pretty uh, pretty prepared, and then moving to a city like New York, um, you know, not really doing like a traditional campus and things like that. You're sort of immediately dropped into a, a real city instead of, you know, just hanging out on the quad. I don't think they have a quad at NYU, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, I've, I, uh, had a great uh, accountant since I was like, God, I think it was like right when I started working since I was four years old. So, you know, have someone I've trusted looking after the money stuff, but yeah, day-to-day -day life and, you know, uh, uh, figuring out a place to live and grocery shopping and cooking and all that. Like I, I, uh, I've, you know, laundry and stuff like that. I've enjoyed take being able being self-reliant with all of that. And part of it is because working on location kind of trains you to quickly set up those things. Like if you're dropped, do yeah, if you're dropped in a, in a city that's unfamiliar and you know, you only have one day to get yourself settled in before you start working all day, every day, like you, right. it's good to, to be able to travel light and fast and to take care of that stuff yourself. That there's there's times where it's like you go somewhere, you'll start working, you're living out of a hotel and like the first day where you can actually go to the grocery store and do your laundry is like the best thing ever. Because normally you're coming home at like midnight and just been eating set yep. food and like, you know, taking a couple granola bars back to have, you know, at the, at the hotel. Yep. Like <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and say you and I have both shopped at that grocery store uh, downstairs from the Sutton place in Vancouver. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what? There is no other city that that where there's a lot of film and television that has a more centralized like hotel. Like everybody has stayed at that hotel, and every time I've been there, I'll see somebody I know in like the bar or in the lobby down there. You, I always like peek my head in whenever I'm coming in or out because I know I'll probably see somebody I know. Lamorne and I did a a pilot up there about four years ago, and and yeah, that's where yep. we were. That's where we were hanging out. <laughs> That's one of those rites of passage that if you haven't stayed at that hotel, I'm not sure you deserve to call yourself an actor yet. <laughs> I'm not, there. not yet. You're getting yeah. there, but not yet. Yeah. If you haven't had a Japo dog outside of the sudden. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The little hot dog stand. Yeah. Wow. Um, I love it. One of the things about you is that, um, that I noticed and I can tell that it has helped you tremendously is You've had such unusual consistency. So you said you had the same accountant from the time you were four years old. I know you had, you had the same um, uh, um, agent yeah, for, a really for long like time. 20 years. Yeah. And are you still with her? No, I, when I uh, graduated college, uh, Meredith Fine, she was at Coast to Coast. She was a fantastic agent, but Coast to Coast was still mostly a kid's agency. So after I graduated, I, I went to... Uh, to a different agency, but, but yeah, that having working with the same person for 20 years, yeah. Building a relationship like that is just so invaluable. Yeah. And it, it helps you, you know, to, to be able to trust people, you know, there's, there's all sorts of, you know, terrible things that can happen if you're working with someone that you can't trust. And I luckily have, have had the opposite experience. When you're super recognizable, at least like we are, I mean, bottom line is people either they typically know us right off the bat, whether you're a fan or not. It's like, oh, I know this guy. You know, how does that, how is that affected when workers come to your house? <laughs> and like, just talk about it. I'm not even going to say anything because I'm like, I know what it feels like. So. <laughs> I'm like, when, when, it has, when it comes to people coming around the house, uh, I, I lived in an apartment in New York, you know, until last ah, okay, fall. Yeah, yeah. So this is, the, this is actually the first time I've, I've moved to a house by myself. And a lot of it was happening I was in a place temporarily when I came back to LA last year and I just right when the pandemic was starting had moved into the house where I'm in now. And it was bizarre because 
I kind of had to do it all by myself. <laughs> like, kind of had to. I just have my my little uh, two door car, and I was just slowly doing this move all by myself. Because especially early on, I didn't want to expose any, you know, have anybody coming into the house or anything, or you know, put anybody in danger. So it was this very long, bizarre pro- uh, process. The only upside being that it was something to focus on, you know, when we were in lockdown. But uh, but now it's like when people come to do work and everything or the gas companies here, like it's the mask. The mask is going to protect me forever. <laughs> right. I just, I just know my, my mom would always make me hide because yeah. if they saw my face, the price went up. Yeah. Oh, I'm and sure so that she- happened when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If people were coming around the house, I'm sure I was told to go play in the backyard or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And she'd be trying to grab every picture off the wall and always leave like one thing like, oh, the box of Urgolos on the top of the fridge. <laughs> you know, that, that's just a box. <laughs> um, I'm really envy the independence that you saw for yourself, though, in New York, because that's actually one of my career you know, I'm not going to say regrets. I try not to use that word, but I just wish I could have gone back and just given it given it a shot is working on Broadway yeah. during my 20s in New York. I just think that would I felt like we were the generation. Well, I feel like you're the last of the generations that felt a pressure from our parents to at least even attend college. Yeah. <laughs> the, the new young stars don't feel any sense of I got to go to college at all yeah. it's like dude I got two million followers why am I on the quad with these clowns <laughs> like, like yeah the world has really changed with that because that you know and it's not just people who are working as actors when they were young it's like for everybody it was like yeah parents want you to go to college and get the degree and everything and the that you know, that has changed so much. And now, I mean, who knows what's going to be left of university education or college education, you know, now that, you know, they're, they're going to be just bleeding money throughout the next year and a half or so. It's very, very strange. Yeah. I know. I just got hustled by my daughter's school. Uh, They announced that we would be schooling on campus and then uh, they hit us all up for tuition. And then uh, once they collected everybody's money, they say, you know what? We're uh, thinking more about the online schools. Oh, oh you dirty bastards. Oh, the parents are so hot right I now. Bet. We are all so heated right now. <laughs> no discount, no nothing. Just run that check and we'll see you on Jeez. Zoom. I'm like, wow. Jeez. Okay. Oh, my um, God. You you worked with another buddy of mine. I told you we got a lot of people in college. Sure. You worked with another buddy of mine, uh, Derek Waters, a drunk history. Yeah, yeah. Love that show. I freaking love Derek. Who did you play? I played a, I forget the name of the figure, but it was a, a newsy. Me and Michael Sarah were like, we're like newsboys in the early, like the 1910s or something when there was a big action to unionize the newsboys. And my character was like a trader who was paid off to, to fight the union and stuff like that. And then got my ass kicked by the newsies. So that's, that kind of performance is so hard though. No matter how prepared you think you are to get out there and do a bunch of action while matching, they are playing the narration on a big speaker and matching everybody's little idiosyncrasies. It's really challenging. (laughs) It's a totally different exercise. I did, I think I've done three episodes now. But my favorite episodes, though, I did, uh, I played Martin Luther King alongside Raven Simone. Nice. And then I also played Bass Reeves, who was a real badass cowboy black guy who had just done all this stuff that nobody would have even known about. Yeah. And that was like, that was, I was the lead in that one. And that was a really, really, really fun shoot. But you're right. It's a completely different exercise of acting. And I would walk around all day with my, with my AirPods and I would, I did the recordings on my phone and I've saved them on my phone. And then I would just, this is like before any of this TikTok um, um, technology. And then I would just play it over and over and over again and try to sync my lips to yeah. it. So that, so that, so basically I just had my, I created my own playback on my phone. Right. And so that when I did, when they did playback on, on set, you know, and, you, and, it, and it's, done, it's done loud. I'm like, okay, I've already had that. I'm a repetition guy. Are you a guy that just likes to just, keep it fresh, but I'm like, I'd like to drill it, drill it, drill it, drill it, drill it. And then it's kind of like ease up off the gas right before showtime. Right. I think, I, I think there's definitely something that there's an effect that it has doing like network television at a young age of, of learning to memorize things really quickly because it's a, you know, it's a live show every week. So that definitely had a big influence on how I like to do things. I like to be completely off book as soon as possible. And if you really, you know, if, if you're, 
if there's something that needs a little bit more improvisation or if you're not going to get a lot of rehearsal with people, having it kind of drilled down almost makes that easier in a way. So, yeah, there's there's special circumstances where. But it really, in every case, like when it comes to the lines, like I like to have it down, like there's some things I'll rehearse a little bit harder than others, you know, if you want to keep it fresh, like you said. But but yeah, with the dialogue, I'm always like to have it down. I know James Roday from Psych. Yeah. I don't know if you've met James ever, uh, but uh, James literally has a photographic memory. Wow. Like he can just quick glance at a half a page and it's just like done. Wow. Like have you have you ever worked with anybody acting wise that just made you feel like I got to get my skills up? Like this guy's on a whole nother level. Like I watched James Spader on, on Boston Legal, you know, do his two page monologue. Oh, yeah. And it was just like. This guy could back that thing forwards and uh, back it up forward, uh, move it forward and back it up like it was a car, like it was a vehicle. It was just like he had such command over the two pages. Yeah. But back to the question, yeah. like if there's anybody that impressed you that you just like you saw an aspect of their game you wanted to put you wanted to add to yours. It's, it's kind of strange because it was so long ago, but I do remember that it was so obvious what a dedicated performer Tom Hanks was that like even as a four year old, I remember it being like he, you know, he a set is a fun place to hang out on and like make conversation with people and everything. And he was very nice. But like between every take, he was in his director's chair, just studying the script like so, so intently. That was one of the early, you know, probably the first time I'd ever seen an example of that on set. And it it, it made a huge uh, impression on me. But yeah, I've gotten to with comedy. There's a lot of people that that I I was enjoying working with them, but also was like trying to soak up as much as I could because, you know, they're just obviously so, so great at what they do. Kristen Wiig was an example of that. I worked with Matt Walsh in the, in the first movie um, I did with Lamar and Sex Ed. He's a, he's just a, a, a wonderful, like truly gifted, you know, master improvisers like that. It's, it's, it should be intimidating, but they're so good that it makes it easier for you because they're just bringing you yeah. along with them. That's, that's made a big yeah. impression on me too. Yeah. I generally find that the, um, the biggest stars are the sweetest people and the smallest stars are the biggest. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I swear it has really held true in, in so many instances. I mean, nothing is, is, is a hundred percent, but it just really has. Yeah. I've been, I've, I've been lucky in a way, but also like, I feel like I've missed out on, you know, I've never really had a, a bad experience with a star or, or with any kind of actor where you are, you certainly, oh, you me. certainly hear some stories on other films, you know, obviously there are productions that are you know more difficult than others, but I've never had an experience where working with someone was, uh, uh, was a nightmare the way that you hear sometimes. <laughs> Knock on wood. You don't. Yeah. I love that. You openly say though, um, how much you love it. You yeah. love acting. Like, I feel like, I feel like it's it's just in your DNA from your dad yeah. and, and, and you genuinely love it. And, and I'll be real with you. Like just, you know, just, just got a guy. Like I've, I've had mixed emotions as I've gotten older with the roller coaster of it. Sure. All. I love the craft of it. I love the exercise yeah. when it's done right. Like, I mean, I mean, those, those drunk history days are, are, are fun. You know, doing episodes of psych are just, I, they're so memorable. Uh, the, the guys I was working with, um, but you know, how do you manage the the roller coaster of it all from, you know, working with Steven Spielberg one day and then, at least for me, auditioning for Hawaii Five O yeah. the next week, and uh, like, how do you manage the the how do you manage auditioning while famous? I think I always had an understanding that 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 you know nothing is ever. Uh, certain that you're not, you know, things are not going to be handed to you. And that there's, there's just so much uncertainty and randomness and how certain things come to you. And also that because I, you know, everybody got to know me when I was a younger actor, that you would constantly have to be update. Like people will have a tendency to see you as that character from their memory and not from how old you are now and things like that. It just, it takes a long time to move past people's first impressions. So when you're, you know, you're, doing a show or a studio film or something like that. It's going to be a long protracted process to, to get that done. Um, so I just try and treat auditions as, as, uh, opportunities to, you know, to, to improve and get better because it's so different from when you're on set working, because when you're on set working, you're trying to create something that's real or something that's funny, or, or, you know, you're able to work in a more organic way. Auditions, there's this 
you, you're trying to find the strategy that works and you're often dealing with a decision, you know, a decision that's going to be made with a bunch of people who don't necessarily agree with each other or want the same thing. You know, you have different producers want something or the director, the writer director wants something and the networks wants something else or the studio wants something else. So it's a much more uh, inorganic process that, you know, can be frustrating, but it's, uh, it's what we have to deal with, particularly now with, you know, I'm, there was supposed to be that WGA strike this year and, you know, SAG is in negotiation right now, just all these factors where it feels like in many professions right now that there's, you know, a, a weakening of, you know, of the worker, I guess, where now that the industry, so many things are being run by companies that come from the tech side of things and not from the entertainment side of things. It's everything is done by an algorithm now. And it's just there, the actors have less and less power to, to build a career in the way that they used to, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of, of the algorithm now. And obviously we've been, we've been very lucky in our lives. It doesn't compare to all the horrible things happening to unions in uh, other parts of the economy where people's lives are at stake, but it is part of a trend where it's just like the, the, uh, the, the biggest companies are sort of squeezing everybody from the top down. <laughs> and Brad, you really just touched on a, a, a gem right there. Uh, I took a job on Netflix because I needed to boost my Netflix algorithm. Right. And and ultimately, you know, um, I, I always joke, I was like, Netflix is really just YouTube for famous people. <laughs> uh, it, it, it really is. It's like, this is, you know, I want to, if I can get my views up to Adam Sandler's level, man, yeah. we, uh, we can chill. Well, they, they, <clears throat> when they released those numbers recently about how many people had watched various shows and a lot of the shows you're like, well, I didn't hear anybody talking about this or like, I didn't see anybody. And a hundred million people watch this show. Like it's, it's, it's similar to so many uh, news sites where Facebook was using fake data to, to drive them into using more video content. So they fired a bunch of like writers and reporters because they're like, this is what people want. People want to watch, you know, little videos of the news. Not, you know, I, I'm, I'm not explaining it very well. But what happened was that it, Facebook was using faulty data. So people weren't actually looking for that. And by the time this came to light all these newsrooms had completely transformed themselves, fired a bunch of people and had gone to more video content and everything when that it wasn't even what people desired. So when I hear things, when it's like Netflix has a lot of focus on the color, the background color of the tile of the show throughout the day or in different regions in the world, there is an intricate algorithm that shows that you're more likely to click on this, you know, uh, what's, you know, bird box or something if it turns red in the morning if you're watching in the morning or if it's late at night no. the background there's so much money and effort and energy going into those little tricks when i you know as an actor you're just like well why can't we just make why can't all that effort go into just making good shows which they yeah. do very often yeah. but well, <laughs> so big data is driving everything yeah. just micro mining the human brain and what it could be attracted to to sell you something yeah. or whatever oh wow yeah um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's facts right there. When I feel like when you're us though, also people expect us to stay in contact with our co-stars more than, than someone else. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, so when people see you in their minds, it's like, oh, you're just going to call up Bruce Willis tomorrow. Right. <laughs> you know, you're going to, and, and, and it's like, no dog, it's, it's Hollywood is very transient. You know, oh, it, yeah. it's like any workplace. Even if you want and, to, uh, even if you want to, it's hard yeah. because you're getting sent to different places of, you know, around the country, around the world. Even if, you know, you're in LA at the same time, if you're working on a show, that's kind of all you're doing for, for, the, for the time being. So when it does happen, when you're able to build those relationships with people that you've worked with and work with them on multiple shows, that's the best. Um, but a lot of the time it's tough because you you are sucked into this working environment for several months where you're seeing someone every hour of every day. And then at the end of it, everybody has to part their separate ways. So it's a that's a that's a tough thing that happens for us. I heard that Meryl Streep has a rule that she said has kept her family together. And she said um, she doesn't believe in after work dinners. <laughs> She's like in, in in real, she said that she said that's when the shenanigans always get started on a movie set. Is the uh, hey, let's go eat. Yeah, 
And she's like, there is no, hey, let's go eat, Meryl. Not, not, not for me. <laughs> and I, I thought that was, <clears throat> I thought that was, I always thought that was very insightful <laughs> because it really, it, it really is the truth when you think about it. Um, and I at that point, I realized I was like, well, I'm just going to have to do better in life because I'm never going to pass on, hey, let's go yeah. eat. I'm never going to oh, pass yeah. <laughs> Some of my favorite parts of working on location. Let's go eat. <laughs> exactly. Um, I've heard that your favorite curse word is fuck. And if you weren't an actor, you'd be in politics. Oh, gosh. The politics ones, I don't I don't know anymore. Like, it looks it looks like a pretty horrible, uh, horrible thing. Either you have to be just pure evil. The only people that seem to really be enjoying that are are pure evil. And uh, everybody else, it's uh, man. Yeah, it's a dark time for politics. <laughs> yeah, it's a dark time. I will go there. I will go and there. And I guess like, um, I am I am a little hopeful that. There is a I'm, well, actually, yeah. There was um, there's a some younger Congress people that have come in recently who who seem to accept, as we all do, that it's a a job in a horrible industry and that most of the people in politics are terrible and everything. But it hasn't really mattered. They're still going to try and do the right thing. Um, uh, you know, I like AOC and uh, there's a, a man uh, Jabari Brisport uh, who is still in the runoff okay. for his election. He was at uh, ETW while I was there. Um, and just seeing people who making, it's such a big sacrifice to go into politics if you're doing it for the right reasons. You know, there's plenty of people going into politics, uh, on the other side to get rich and to sell yeah, out to big industry it. and stuff like that. But if you're truly going to, to try and improve people's lives, that is a tough, thankless job. So I'm, I, I admire a lot of these younger people who are going to try and stop the bleeding. I just, I really get the sense that there's this, um, there's also a, a, a battle going on in our country between boomers and, and Gen Z. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's not being publicized quite as much, but the, the, the fact of the matter is I feel like boomers are really trying to hold on to power yeah. and they're trying to hold on to power with ideals that have faded. Yeah. And, and then Gen Z is like, Hey, wait a minute, that's not right. You know, like what do you, and, and it's like, you even see some of these Gen Zers even protesting with like, you know, with, with, with BLM or whatnot. And it's a real awakening because you'll see like a white guy get shoved in the face by a cop or whatever. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the light goes on different. It was like, oh, yeah, no, you can catch it, too. Yeah. You know, that's this is it's not as from the cop standpoint, it's not as racist as it is authoritarian. Yeah. And a, a system in place that refuses to to yield. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. I just, I still see that as like the number one conflict in our country right now is just between young and old yeah. in terms of ideals and old people trying to hold on to a lot of power. Yeah, that's, that, that, that they that's have. who's, you know, in charge in, uh, you know, that's all those judges and, and senators and, you know, and most presidents are really elderly men <laughs> recently. So it's, yeah, it's going to take a lot of ener and just, uh, energy from the younger generations. And I think the, the big one, one that hangs over all of it, even though it's a little bit farther uh, in the future, is that for the elderly, like climate change is not as big a problem as someone who's 20 years old right now or someone who's who wants to have kids right now. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a big, a big flashpoint for people saying, you know, this is something we need to take seriously now. You know, and I know that a lot of the people fighting are like, I'm not going to be around. Who cares? <laughs> it's like, well, some people are going to be right. around. So yeah, with right. any, with all the the. Uh, I've, I've, I've been really pleasantly surprised that there, that people have stuck with the, the protests with the police and everything, especially under the circumstances where there's that frightening virus out there and people have still stayed out there. And, you know, it's obvious what even, uh, as skeptical as I have been of smartphones in culture, one definite good with it is that people are now forced to see all of these violent incidents that happen all the time. Like had it, if it weren't for these for these records, people might have ignored some of these things. And now you're just seeing what in the first weeks of those protests, just constant violent attacks on on peaceful protesters. You know, now they're being abducted in Portland by the secret police. It's just it's it's become yeah, very, I heard about yeah that it's too. terrible. It's uh, it's become really clear what everyone is up against. Well, I don't think the abuses that we're catching on film um, are um, are getting worse. They're just they're being filmed. Right. Yeah. That's the. It's difference. always been yeah, happening. I think, I think. Yeah. It's always been happening, but now it's 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 in our face. Yeah. How many daily conflicts we have uh, over minutia um, and just lack of common courtesy? Yeah. To be quite honest, um, do you feel that in your career though that 
watching the younger executive move into power has helped your career? Because I do feel, I'm feeling a shift. Like I'm, I'm starting to work with my age old peer now. Yeah. As opposed to being judged by somebody who maybe is, you know, 20 years older than me, 15 to 20 years older than me. And they have more respect for the cast of friends. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? It's like, oh, yeah, th- those guys can do no wrong. But, you know, but these guys over here, you know, they, they just see us differently. I'm, I'm really seeing it affect my career for for the better, to be quite honest, the, the younger executive that's moving in, into power. I think so. Definitely. Part of my reason for wanting to move back to L.A. was that I, I'm trying to get more on the producing side of things and trying to to pitch some of my own pro- projects and everything. And when you are talking, I mean, there's definitely it doesn't matter what. There's some people of all ages that can be receptive to, to a good idea, but it is often a lot easier when you are in the same generation as someone to sort of explain what you're after and to sort of explain where you're coming from. And I'm definitely Dude, starting absolutely. to see that too. Yeah. It's like when I saw you on Silicon Valley, it's like I was happy to see you on Silicon Valley, but I was also happy to see you looking and behaving and acting so different. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's what I was gassed off of. It wasn't like, it wasn't like an appearance, like, oh, I'm just seeing him over there. I was I was seeing a maturation. Yeah. And I was also seeing a um I was seeing your 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 full skill set. You know what I'm saying? Thanks. Now it was like, okay, this I can put some of his performances in context now. And I, I just saw you going to a William H. Macy kind of place, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, in your own career. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? In terms of the diversity of what your work will ultimately become. Sure. What's your biggest vice? Biggest vice. Gosh. Probably watching watching sports now. <laughs> That's something that uh, you know with with baseball the last couple of years it's like I've I've been going to a lot of Dodger games, watching a lot of that stuff. That's something that each year I'm like, all right, I'm going to try and let a couple games go without watching every single inning. I started keeping score and stuff like that. No, <laughs> yeah. no, got, that's a, that's a boomer activity. Really not with the pen and, not, yeah. not with the, uh, the, the scorecard <laughs> yeah. and the pencil. Yep. No. It's always <laughs> old guys you see doing that at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a boomer move. That's a boomer move. Oh my gosh. <laughs> at least do it on your phone. Yeah. No, come no, on. No, I got to <laughs> save it. I got it for the memories. <laughs> I, that's okay. So maybe I heard wrong. I heard that you were a notorious procrastinator. Oh, I, I guess so. I think I've gotten better at that, though. I think I used to be worse. You know, I do uh, uh, religiously. It'll get worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So have a kid. It'll get oh, worse. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to be prepared for that. No, I still, I've, even though the phone notes app is really helpful for me now, I still will sometimes keep a post-it in my wallet if there's like, if I got to make sure I get certain things done in a day or a week. So I've tried to combat that. That's awesome. If you had one professional do-over when you were a kid, like, what would it be? Wow. You know, not not like anything you regret, but just like, if I could go back and do this differently, if I, if, if I could go back and... Um, is there a role or something that you that that you didn't get that maybe you wish you could go back and get something similar? Because I noticed you you said you like playing villains now at this point. Yeah, you know, because I I guess that would it would be related to that because uh, my my dad and I were both always like, wouldn't it be fun to play like a dark role like that? Because I think I I was mostly known for playing kids that you know were we're, we're good and moral and like, we're trying to do the right thing all the time. And we were like actively looking like, let's try something a little bit more complicated. And it was hard to find. And it was hard to, to find something that really, uh, 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 that, that, that ticked that box. I had to wait until I was older to get that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think people realize that, you know, kids are selected. We rarely get developed for. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a huge difference in in career, and it doesn't even matter how hot you are. You could be the hottest guy there is as a kid, yeah. you know. Um, but you get treated like one from a development standpoint. That it's like we will access your fame as we need for our project, but we're not going to build anything to show off what your skill set is. You know, there were certain people like yourself, uh, Dakota Fanning. I remember I loved her performance in uh, in, in in Man Down, and it just it, I felt like I was watching a mini adult. Yeah. I really did. So when she's done with a movie like that, though, there is no system in place that says we're going to develop the next Dakota Fanning project. Right. 
Um, you know, it's it's what what box can we put her in next? What does she fit that's already in existence? And uh, that's where this generation with social media and just technology has such an advantage over our generation. Yeah. Because uh, we had to we had to conform. Yeah. You know, you had we had to mold around the projects that were already in existence. Right. Yeah, I'm surprised. All right, this Sorry, is just. No, 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 no. I'm you surprised even today with, you know, with uh, actors of various ages where even yeah, I think I was even reading something with like Robert Robert Pattinson recently where it's like someone who's done a huge variety of work recently and st- and still has to fight against certain uh certain elements trying to get you to do the same thing over again like they've they've identified yep. what they want from you and they just want that over and over again. It's like that's something that affects yep. people at all all uh points in their career no matter how successful yeah, you are. All levels in all levels of the business. Yeah. A-, a list, B list, pay your pay your rent list, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a, yeah, I get that. Um, what was I gonna ask you again? I had a good one, man. The internet. What do you love about it? What do you hate about it? Uh, I definitely hate the intrusion into everybody's private life. Like that's just across the board. It's like the st- stuff that you don't even want to know about people. And yet you, now you have to know about it, <laughs> like this, you know, digging into people's relationships and personal lives. That's definitely, I think been a, a, a net negative. Um, but what I love about it is what they promised us when we were in elementary school, that you can, you can get access to all the best information. You could learn anything you want to. And that's still true. It's still, you know, the information is still out there to learn a skill or yeah, with basic day-to-day stuff now, it's like I could, I could access any recipe in the world and be taught how to cook it like from YouTube or something like that. That still is amazing. We just didn't realize all the other stuff that was going to come with it. (laughs) You know, right. We had newspaper clippings and world book in Britannia. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And <laughs> Carta on the old IPMs. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, man. How much life has changed. Yeah. Um, all right. I just got one more thing. I'm not going to hold you up entirely, man. This has been so much fun to speak to somebody that I just instantly knew I'd be able to relate it's to. It's so great talking but to you, too. Screw, screw acting for a second. Sure. All right. Just, let's just pretend we didn't need our, our SAG health care. <laughs> if you could spend your days doing three things that didn't even mean you had to make money doing them. But you just spend your days doing these three things. What would, what would they be? I'd be playing guitar, uh, scuba diving. That's a Ooh, that's a okay. hobby I don't get to do as much as I'd like. <laughs> and I guess going going to, going to see live music is like that. Really kept me in New York as well. Like I, you'd be able ah. to see a great live show every night of the every night of the week if you wanted to. And like that, that, that would be a perfect day to me, you know, playing a little music, seeing a little music, getting in the ocean. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. Okay. I think I would, um, I would play basketball and ping pong every day. Nice. Um, I would travel all over the place, just eating the best of everything. Oh yeah. And, um, this is why, you know, Lamorne and I are friends. I would go on daily adventures with the most athletic women. I <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> With you Dude, seriously, dog, thank you for just having a chat, dog. You got this it. Was fun. This was really fun. I hope we the, get to hang out in person the, sometime it's in the future. <laughs> now, now that I know that uh, that you weren't just passing through as a celebrity uh, spectator and you really do play ping pong, I know I'm supposed to go over Seth Green's and uh and, and play ping pong oh nice so i will make sure to text you when that happens Fabulous. are you a text guy yeah. or are you a, are you a voicemail I'm guy? a text guy definitely but you can leave a okay. voicemail if that's okay. how you like to do things too cool beans all right well take care man all right nice talking to you this you take awesome. care too